Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club. And we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. And today we're delighted to be in conversation with Diana Swayze, age 70. Now, Diana has moved on from her life as a professional educator in the Midwest to live in a laid-back Beach Village in Jamaica. Diana has devoted much of her professional life to working on behalf of students who are challenged as principal of an elementary school and as director of federal programs. Diana has dealt with a long-term chronic illness, multiple sclerosis, and has had major back surgery. Two years ago, Diana decided to leave the toxic climate of the United States, sell and give away most of her possessions, and create a new home where she could heal physically and emotionally. And now she lives with her younger husband on the edge of the sea with the mountain backdrop where she practices self-care, swimming, painting, eating well, and lives with intention to make life fun and be fine with less. Welcome, Diana, to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're delighted to be in conversation with you, and and we want to hear about your major life transition and and life now in Jamaica. Well, I am delighted to speak with both of you. Gail, you have the most wonderful, wonderful voice. Clearly, clearly you thought about that when you did, when you did this. Thank you so much nice. for the opportunity. Thank you. So Diana, let's begin. Um, just give us, if you can give us a brief glimpse into your life in Kansas City, uh, life before Jamaica. Well, life in Kansas City was was wonderful. You know, I had huge numbers of opportunities in Kansas City. I love my background in art. I love architecture and fine arts. So Kansas City was good for that. And well, and I'm a terrible foodie. I'm a wonderful foodie. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. At, at any rate, so it was just you know, it was just a a pretty basic life I think you know I enjoyed the arts I enjoyed the the Kansas City restaurant scene I lived downtown for quite a while and did a warm space build out which fed my architectural you know cravings and uh, I was a grandmother to I have one daughter grandmother to three grandchildren that are delightful and incredibly busy so they certainly don't miss me um, <laughs> seriously seriously their little treadmill that- runs all the time uh-huh. So um, t- tell us a little bit about the work that you you did with um, in the school system. Well, I always worked with minority populations, challenged minority populations. Um, and in Kansas City, I, um, I was an assistant principal at, 
at a largely um, African-American um, school that had uh, the other population was very Hispanic. That was, that was very interesting. And I left there um, and went to a charter school principalship where it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to be in charge and to have, you know, textbook mm-hmm. ideas that you want to put in place and you can do it when you're a charter school principal. And that was a very, very challenging community. Gretchen and I worked together there on on uh, awareness issues with, within the school. And then uh, I taught in a suburban, um, I, well, I was a principal in a suburban district and, you know, finished off as the director of federal programs there. All with mm-hmm. challenging populations. Yes, and and how long were in total? How long were you involved in that kind of work? Mm. About thirty-four years. Oh, okay. But you know, on again, off again, teaching art, principalships, a vice principalship, central office administrator um, for two school districts. You know, so. But it was always within that. Those cultures. Mm-hmm. A rich career for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, I was really lucky. I, I in Kansas City, I, I began working in Kansas City public schools before desegregation. So that was a very, very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, interesting time. And then um I I worked there all through the desegregation, the uh, plan, which is the largest federally funded um, desegregation magnet school program that was ever attempted in the history of American education, as far as I know. But anyway, so that was, that was fascinating. <laughs> and that's the one where you were principal? Mm, no, I was principal of the charter school. No? I was, was a central oh, office administrator for the arts mm. in Kansas City during, during the magnet school. So we had, you know, specific magnet schools that were designed for the arts. And that's why I wanted to be a principal. I wanted to be a principal of a visual and performing arts school. But the Supreme Court unraveled the desegregation plan, the magnet school plan, mm-hmm. uh, while I was working on my doctorate. Oh, but the charter yeah. school, the charter school fed all of that um, in in the end because it was uh, it was Gordon Parks Elementary School, and so it was designed to be a. Uh, a fine arts school and they're heavy in the fine arts for very challenged children. And they were incredible. They were incredibly talented kids. It was wonderful. I'm thinking it might have might have been difficult for you to to leave leave all of that. But what what then prompted you to decide to leave the United States and um, what was involved in you know making this major transition? Well, I suppose um, in, in, it really all hinges on it. In February of, of 2018, February 1st, actually, I had a major back surgery, which was complicated with osteoporosis, uh, where they rebuilt my, my lower lumbar. So I was in the hospital with that for two weeks. And when I got out of the hospital, I, of course, was, as I always have been, very concerned about my health and how to improve my health. And um, I, you know, started, started, you know, looking at, at ways, of course, exercise and food and lifestyle had been part of my uh, MS health mission, you know. So, 
So because of the back surgery, I, I was pretty serious about, okay, what's the, what's the best way to heal here? How am I going to do it? And clearly Kansas City's climate wasn't going to do it. And, and I can't afford to eat in the United States like I eat in Jamaica. I am close to the, my food source, you know, very, very close mm -hmm. to it. And it's largely untampered with, uh, you know. So. Are you a vegan? No, I am not a vegan. No, I'm not. I believe in balancing all those things out <laughs> while I like uh -huh. vegan food. And I can certainly, you know, eat it um, and enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy too many other things. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you when you were diagnosed with I was MS? 38, I believe. I think my, my daughter, almost, I was almost 38. 37, actually, but I was 38 that, that year. So, yeah, my daughter was just, just going into to college. That's mm -hmm. the only way I can remember it. I'm terrible with numbers. You mark it by your daughter, yeah, some of your daughter's milestones. Uh, so uh, I, uh, when I talked with you um, just a few days ago, you were telling me about how what was involved in making this major move about your possessions and and what do you what do you give away? What do you sell? What do you take mm -hmm. with you? What was that little? Give us some. What, what was that process like? Well, that's an exhausting process, emotionally, physical, all the <laughs> way all the way around. But but um, I, you know, I I had an opportunity to listen to an interview and. Leslie Stahl was interviewing a, a musician who had a really gravelly voice and was just smoking terrible amounts of cigarettes, you know, uh, through the whole th interview. And she said, well, aren't you concerned about your voice? And he said, no, I'm going to be 60-something, and I like it, and I'm going to do that. And I thought, whoa, I am 60-something, and I really need to, you know, look at where is the best you know, best place, best, you know, situation for me. And I just felt burdened by everything in the United States, the political system, the news. Um, I felt burdened by my possessions and I just didn't want them anymore. So, you know, I went about, I, I collected, um, Amer I've, I've collected furniture for a long time, mid-century modern furniture, and my daughter likes it. And I thought, well, why not give this to my daughter now so she can enjoy it now while I'm alive? I don't need all of these possessions. I've always hinged architecturally on a minimalist um, philosophy. So, you know, I think, well, I don't really need all of these things. What would it feel like? You know, and I need I need to find someplace, a country that I'm I'm happy and healthy and mm -hmm. and you know jamaica jamaica um was the first place i landed and then i was in mexico for a month uh, and then i was in california for a couple of weeks in palm springs and sampling climates mm -hmm. and you know environments and so you know it, it when i when i went back um to the united states after i had had gotten you know rid of everything I just felt, I felt really good. I felt healthier in Jamaica than I felt anywhere else. Mm -hmm. you know. So you decided to, to make it a, a permanent move, as I, under, I understand. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So 
What are some of the, um, for you, what is it, what are some of the aspects of being in Jamaica and the culture that are so compelling and appealing for you? Well, it's divergently different than the United States. Um, just total opposite ends of the spectrum. And so it's, it's very interesting to me on a, a, a cultural level to look at some place, to observe in, in some place that is so very different from the United States. Um, of course, my, my husband speaks Patois, so there's language differences. We repeat a lot of things to each other. <laughs> Um, you know, so there's, there's language that, I mean, the whole, um, b being very, very close to, to nature by comparison to Kansas City. Kansas City's a lovely city, but, but, the mm -hmm. um, you're just not that close to nature and the earth and, and water like I, like I am here. So that makes it that makes it much more wonderful i grew up at a residential lake and so water has always been in my life i've raced sailboats and and been a good been a good swimmer prior to my back surgery while i go swimming every day now i still pretty much paddle about but I, you know i used to be strong in all of those <laughs> things you know and, mm. and i have the opportunity to investigate those things more closely here than i did in kansas city were you concerned, excuse me, Catherine, were no, you concerned at all about not knowing anybody, about how life would actually be once you were there, how you would, you know, keep yourself busy? Uh, what, did you know anybody when you moved there? Well, Gretchen, I knew Gretchen and uh, certainly her uh, good friend, Oral. I knew the two of them while she lives in the mountains in a compound. Um, no, not really. I really didn't know, know anyone, um, with, you know, aside from Gretchen, that was pretty much it. I mean, Who is Gretchen, Diana? Dr. Wilbur. Um, and she's a, a good friend of Catherine's and a, and a good friend of mine for years. She was a former, she's a professor emeritus. Um, oh, thank you. I, um, Gretchen and I worked very closely together at School for New Learning at DePaul. I see. had some wonderful travel adventures. So, um, so have there? You talk about the the differences, and you sound you know very appreciative of of the differences. Diana, are there have there been any uh, major adjust challenges that you're had to adjust to, or still adjusting? To? Well, it's cer certainly, I think that being married to someone twenty five years younger than yourself, and having been divorced for thirty years, provides a significant challenge. <laughs> Um, right off the, off the bat, you know, for, for sure. I mean, that's a challenging thing. Well, Marshall and I have been married, you know, over over a year now, um, and we, we have huge amounts of fun. But nonetheless, it's um, uh, a male Jamaican is very different than a male American. So, you know, there, it certainly brings, brings huge amounts of joy, but there are also challenges to that as, as well, you know. Absolutely. Can you help us understand some of the differences between Jamaican men and American men? Well, the, of course, as I said, Marshall speaks Patois, which is the French version of, of their language. And so the, the language differences, they don't 
Jamaicans, and it doesn't make any difference whether they're men or women, I suppose, Jamaicans don't ask you to do something. They command you to do something. And having been an educator in a leadership position and, you know, commanding, you know, over, you know, 200, you know, workers and, and you know, 350 students, that's a little, that's jolting. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and then of course they they don't you know t- take it that way that's not that wasn't that their mm. intention to be mm. you know to to speak you know to, to offend you that's not their intention but it, okay yeah i understand um so you met you mentioned that marshall your husband is 25 years younger than you are and if you were in kansas city i imagine this would raise a few eyebrows but what what about being in Jamaica? Is there is that age difference even well, it, noticeable? It appears to, to me that the Jamaican culture has a very different um, approach to aging. I mean, they they believe that aging is genuinely only a number, and you're as old as you think you are. Um, mm-hmm. And and people, you know, people of disparate ages, um, you you often see see them. Jamaicans are also very nurturing, very loving, very helping people, and they they protect and help their elders. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's just a very very different different thing. And then sexuality in Jamaica is very overt. Um, mm-hmm. As as an example, Marshall and I were on. We go to the beach almost every morning, and we visit with this very nice gentleman that owns um, bungalows there on the on the beach. And we're talking to him and everything, and he's laughing. And he says, he says to Marshall, he says, "It, you know, you. I need. I want you to give me that woman." And I step behind. <laughs> I step behind Marshall, and I said. What? What would you do with me? And he said the same thing that man does with you. And I said, Oh my, oh my, oh my. I said, This is my husband. You know. I mean, but but it's it's jovial, very very overt um, acceptance of the of relationships and the sexes. It seems to me, Jamaican. I think that Jamaican culture is very very inclusive. Mostly. Are you even considered, you said that they uh, protect and help the elderly. Are you considered an elder in that? Oh, certainly, certainly. And not only that, I'm disabled. I walk with a cane and I walk at a quarter pace of a normal human being. So obviously, you know, I'm, I'm older uh, and impaired, (laughs) but, but, I don't feel uncomfortable with that here. Um, that, that, that's uh-huh. another uh, appealing thing about, about Jamaica. I don't feel uncomfortable with it here. Um, one, I have Marshall who will support me, you know, in, in any situation I'm in, walk with me and hold my arm and, and such if, if I need. And then two, people pop out of the woodwork and you know, we'll, we'll talk to, well, as an example at the beach, um, a man um, called Marshall over to him and, and said, um, I need to talk to you. Um, he said that you walk with that woman every, every morning. He said, 
you must really love her. And Marshall says, of course, that's my wife. Of course I do. And he said, you know, he asked why, why I didn't walk well. Uh, or so good, I guess. And um, and Marshall, you know, explained I'd had back surgery and one thing and another. And the man said, oh, you need to take her to see um, Rasta Jim in Clarendon. You know, take her there. He'll fix it. I mean, I often have people mm. come out of the woodwork and say, you know, either say to Marshall or say to me, you know, you need to you need to use this herbal remedy. You'll walk better. Mm. <laughs> It, That's it's lovely. lovely. It's very lovely. Yeah. I know that Jamaica is is well known for uh, its many herbs, healing uh -huh. herbs, and um, so. I, and I, I know from talking with you briefly that you you and Marshall are, I think, in in the process of creating a, an export business. Do you yeah, talk sure, about that? Sure, sure, sure. Yes, we are on on the verge. Um, we have a. Uh, a distributor in the United States that will distribute uh, and market um, Irish moss, which is a sea moss that grows in in fairly good abundance here um, off off the shores of Jamaica in shallow water. So it it could be harvested um, and uh, dried and then packaged and sent to the United States. And Irish sea moss was used by the Irish. Um, as of course they came here as indentured slave, but but the Irish during the potato famine, and it's so nutrient dense that it's just mm -hmm. this remarkable, remarkable herb. I suppose I guess it's an herb, not it's a plant. But but at any rate, to um, to ingest and use to incorporate, and it's used for all sorts of things. And I have only scraped the surface of that on skin mm -hmm. and hair, many many things. We're on the we're on the verge of getting that off the ground. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. I, I looked. I I didn't know what Irish moss was. I looked it up. So uh, it, it seems to have some some really powerful healing properties. Ooh, I think, so. And, I think um, so. Yeah. And especially for somebody so like me you, with osteoporosis. You see, I don't take pharmaceuticals, and I haven't taken pharmaceuticals for sixty years. I mean, since I was pardon me. <laughs> Since I was since I was sixty, so for ten years I haven't done any pharmaceuticals unless they put me in the hospital for two weeks and forced it down my veins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So, will you and Marsha? Who will do the harvesting? Um, that? we will have. Of course, we have to have a seaman. You know, we have to have a, a fisherman do that presently. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends on you know on where the business goes. There, there's a whole. Um, uh, philosophy of maritime um, culture. It, it can actually be grown on ropes in the sea, you know. So, uh, oh. I mean, it's it's hard to know where it will go, you, you know. Mm -hmm. But but it could it could go there, you know. Abs absolutely, we could have other other employees in the company that would harvest and and um, clean it and package it and all of that for us. But mm -hmm. hard hard to know, hard to know. Yeah. Exciting. Very, exciting, very exciting, Diana. Um, I before we close, can you give us um, if we were there with you now, what would we see and hear and smell? What, what give us a sensory feel for where you are? 
Well, right here on this very veranda, of course, I mean, you, you saw the vista of the, of the sea. There's one consistent thing. The sea comes in and goes out all of the time. And on some days, some days you hear it when it's, when it's angry out there or getting ready to rain. Um, remarkable colors. You know, I, uh, I didn't really even address the fact that I do, I truly do love to paint. And I love the time that I have to mm -hmm. paint on my veranda here. Um, I, I enjoy it. So the colors are just remarkably vivid um, and juxtaposed so oddly, like I would never you know, put them together. So, so, you know, but nature, you, you're surrounded, you're very, very close to nature. I am especially here on the veranda because it's built into the mountain and the trees are growing up beside and the birds, you'll hear birds. I mean, sometimes they're so loud. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> my my you know but they're very they're very close so you would see that and smells um marshall and i both as i said you know i, I well at least for me i enjoy cooking marshall is a wonderful cook you know and so you often would would be smelling wonderful curry and and uh, spices mm -hmm. just lots of garlic mm -hmm. i think i use lots of garlic so you have wonderful <laughs> you have wonderful wonderful food smells be it here on this veranda or you know out out on the road um and the temperature. the temperature right now this is the reason that that rich people come to jamaica in the winter because it's just lovely 84 at the at the top and um 77 or so uh, maybe 73 at night 73 is unusual mm -hmm. but 77 there's been a cool front up at the island mm -hmm. so so temperature and i don't find it humid especially now although i have just just lived through the um rainy season here my my grandson mm. told me at a terrarium for Christmas. I said, "Oh my goodness, William! I live in a terrarium. <laughs> there are lizards everywhere because we're right in the rocks. You know, lizard mm -hmm. lizards abound. You know, and I I don't mind them except you know their residual effects. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, you see you see things like that. Of course, I'm sitting here, you know, and I watch the goats run up and down their trail in the morning, and then and in the late mm. afternoon when they go in their goat houses. So you you see animals much closer. I have feral cats. I think it's the, absolutely the best idea ever. They're very independent. They just come up for food, and now they're one is tame enough that that he'll choose to sit in my lap, and then he leaves. He's gone. You know, mm. it's wonderful. Oh. And there's no veterinarian bills. <laughs> right no responsibility but thank you for that i'm sitting here looking out the my kitchen window at a very bland sky and uh i just i really enjoyed very that seldom. Trans being transported to your very seldom gray here very seldom you know that, that's called bleaky mm. it's bleaky jamaican language is very is very <laughs> sweet it's very sweet bleaky it's a bleaky day how is Jamaica being affected by the COVID pandemic? It's very sad because, I mean, there's already, this is a developing nation and it was already a very poor nation um, to begin with. And the, I think 60%, well, I shouldn't say that because numbers escape me, but a good, a huge portion of their, their workforce is based upon the tourist industry. 
So that's really mm. put a damper on a lot of, of things. Certainly dampens Marshall and I. We like we like to be able to, you know, pop out after dinner and, and go to one of these darling little board bars, you know, and listen to Jamaican music and sing together, <laughs> you know, and mm. but there's curfews, you know. So people's economies have really been moshed up, as a Jamaican would say, definitely moshed up. Things are slower. Well, and then as a, as a white person in this culture, I'm a bit of a suspect. COVID came to the mm. island um, mm. from, and I don't, I, I don't think that the woman, I mean, two people, you know, way back in, in um, that, that, were, that came from England, I think. I think I'd have to ask Marshall for sure. But nonetheless, um, as a white person, clearly I've arrived here. <laughs> you know, they don't know when, but but they definitely <laughs> want to stay away from me and vice versa right now. You know, so it really has put a damper. I mean, this is a very joyous, joyous world. It, it really is. Mm. I mean, their, their funeral celebrations, you know, are and and that's how COVID came to to Jamaica was two, the two people got off the plane to um, go to a, uh, a funeral, um, which is a huge mm. event here uh, with music mm. and dancing and food and huge celebration, very different than American culture. Very yeah, mm-hmm. truly. Mm-hmm. It's very celebratory. You know, so COVID, COVID's put in, I don't, I hardly leave my veranda, really. <laughs> I just mm. stay on mm-hmm. my veranda. Which, which, you know, is, is all right, but, but, you know, I do like a little variety, and I enjoy things, <laughs> more variety than we have presently, but, you know, we're dealing with mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. True, true. We all are in different ways. I, I'm just, I, before we close, I'd, you, meant, you, you, you mentioned painting on your mm-hmm. veranda, and just, what kind of painting, what do you do? What kind of well, I'm not actually a painter. I'm more of a sculptor. I like three-dimensional things more, but that doesn't lend itself here. But the paintings, the first three paintings that I did were great big paintings of women. I find Jamaican women absolutely fascinating with the backbone that they hold everyone else in the society upon, it, it appears to mm-hmm. me. So, so I've taken uh, a photographs of of women that I found interesting and I turned them into great huge I get I, I like them big like that because they're the girlfriends actually I can walk into the painting I mean they're like five feet by by four feet you know great, great big paintings wow. there's one in the photograph that I sent you that's behind me mm, I thought yeah. that was yours yeah. so so that's the very hard-edged ladies that I started with there, there were three of those and I sold one of them um, quite by accident. I don't purposefully do that. But at mm-hmm. any rate, um, mm-hmm. those were almost uh, anthropological studies a bit for me, you know. Um, and then, you know, I've moved off over and that was house paint because I can't buy oil paint in tubes here that would be <laughs> exorbitant, but but to bathe that size. But so then I have um, a whole set of watercolors here that I've been using for some hard edge mm-hmm. things, oddly enough, because this is a very watery watercolor environment. I could have certainly, you know, be doing very watery landscapes mm-hmm. in the budget. I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't approached mm-hmm. that yet. I don't know why I'm 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 down this hard edge road now. So but but mm-hmm. the last one I think that I finished. No, no, no. 
No, the one before that I finished. It was very much a cacophony of shapes and colors that spoke to me about, about this little grocery at night and the music that was in the background. So, <laughs> so if maybe you would think, consider um, taking a photo of your one of one or more of your paintings that we could put on our Facebook. Oh, sure, group. sure. I'm happy to send you. Sure. sure, I'm happy oh, to see photographs Wonderful. of those. Yes, I love Wonderful. them. They're fun. They're fun. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't so care fun. whether anybody else loves them or not. I had a great time painting <laughs> them, you know, and stepping away from the world, you know. Right. I'm happy to see them sure. with whomever. Of course, of course. That's great. Gail, do you have anything else before we, we have to bring this to a close? Just just wondering, uh, Diana, uh, do you, so do you plan to spend the rest of your years there? No, I don't think so. Marshall and I, I, I have to get Marshall off of the island. He's never left this island before. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I know technically red tape wise, if we go to the United States and we can spend five years in the United States, then, you know, he can certainly benefit from my social security for the rest of his life as well. He should, you know, he puts up with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, I think there'll be a stint in the United States. I don't know that we'll stay there, you know, for longer than the five years, the mandatory five years. <laughs> uh -huh. At least. So you're open-ended. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. I think that that's an understatement. Don't you think from just listening to all of this crazy stuff that I'm, I'm more it. than open-ended? <laughs> <laughs> I think we really want to follow you, oh. so we'll be staying in oh, touch with you. Please do stay in touch with me. Join yeah. me. Join Love me. It's, it's fun. <laughs> it's always fun. You know, I mean, I, something about Jamaica, especially my relationship mm -hmm. with, with Marshall, laughter in my life, I have never laughed so much. And I think that that is so healing and so important. Yes. That's a wonderful. Wonderful note to end on, and I'm sorry we do need to close, but thank you, Diana, so oh, much welcome. for talking with us and, and sharing these really um, del delicious aspects of your life now. <laughs> You're ever so welcome. Yeah. I really, I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to think about, to think about all of this, you know, to, to look at all of it and to attempt to synthesize it while clearly in my little outline here i had way more about my education and background you know than you wanted so that was mm -hmm. a bit disorienting <laughs> for me but nonetheless it was fun thank you so much Catherine. thank you so much Gabe. Thank you. you're very thank you. welcome and listeners please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts become an active participant in our community through our facebook group and no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about our Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com. <laughs>